I am Lily Keenan, and I'll read John 19, verses 1 through 16. Then Pilate had Jesus flogged with a lead-tipped whip. The soldiers wove a crown of thorns and put it on his head, and they put a purple robe on him. Hail, King of the Jews, they mocked as they slapped him across the face. Pilate went outside again and said to the people, I'm going to bring him out to you now, but understand clearly that I find him not guilty. Then Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe, and Pilate said, Look, here is the man. When they saw him, the leading priests and temple guards began shouting, Crucify him, crucify him. Take him yourselves and crucify him, Pilate said. I find him not guilty. The Jewish leaders replied, By our law, he ought to die because he called himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this, he was more frightened than ever. He took Jesus back into the headquarters again and asked him, Where are you from? But Jesus gave no answer. Why don't you talk to me, Pilate demanded. Don't you realize that I have the power to release you or to crucify you? And then Jesus said, You would have no power over me at all unless it were given to you from the above. So the one who handed me over to you has the greater sin. Then Pilate tried to release him, but the Jewish leader shouted, If you release this man, you are no friend of Caesar. Anyone who declares himself a king is a rebel against Caesar. When they said this, Pilate brought Jesus out to them again. Then Pilate sat down on the judgment seat on the platform that is called the stone pavement in Hebrew, Gabbatha. It was now about noon of the day of the preparation for the Passover. And Pilate said to the people, Look, here is your king. Away with him, they yelled. Away with him. Crucify him. What? Crucify your king? Pilate asked. We have no king but Caesar, the leading priest shouted back. Then Pilate turned Jesus over to them to be crucified. Thank you, Lily. Four years ago, um, my family and I, Rachel, brought uh, my three children to City Church for the first time. Um, uh, Rachel and I had actually been to City Church a few years before this. We were in a transition season in ministry. We were leaving uh, youth ministry and stepping into a lead pastor's role. And so we were like, we have been in a church bubble for the vast majority of our ministry lives. We need to get away. And we kind of always creeped on City Church and followed them and loved what they did. So in 2015, Rachel and I came to our first service at City Church. And in 2018, we found ourselves in another transition season that we didn't know for sure where we were going or what we were doing, but we knew that we wanted to be at City Church at least. And so we brought all of our family just a few weeks after Easter and we sat through worship. And then I don't know if any of you were here for this, but pre-COVID, we had this thing that uh, we just like playfully called three minutes of awkward that happened right after worship. Did anybody ever experienced the three minutes of awkward that um, we were forced to talk with people. Um, and, and so our first service that we attended at City Church, um, my wife does a little bit better in these situations of just talking to random strangers that she's never met before. I am, I am very awkward. And so I was, I was just kind of tagging along with her and we turned and started talking with this young, well-spoken uh, lady who we thought was probably a sophomore-ish in a 
ORU, because I don't know if y'all know this, but we have a lot of ORU students here at City Church. And so uh, Rachel continued that conversation, and I just kind of faded away because, again, I'm awkward in conversation. I faded, and I probably sat down. And as the service began, Rachel um, sat down with me, and she was like, how old do you think that girl was that we were just talking to? And I was like, I don't know, like maybe like 19, possibly 20, maybe. I'm going I'm to give her somewhere in that 19 to 21 range. And she looks at me, and she's like, no, she's roughly the same age of our oldest daughter, who is 11. And I was like, you've got to be kidding me. And that young lady was Miss Lily Keenan, um, the young lady who just read our scripture. She was the first person that we ever fully actually met here at City Church. And she is just amazing, you guys. She's one of the leaders in our student ministry. And I I, I tell y'all all that just to know, like, she is phenomenal. If you get a chance to say hello to, to her, she is inquisitive. She will ask you all the questions and and she's not afraid to go deep in the word of God, all the things. She is awesome. Her parents have done a phenomenal job raising her. Hey guys, the summer before my senior year of high school, I had a moment of crisis. I was, I had just gotten off work on a Saturday and I had driven home and um, nobody was around. It was a beautiful day. And so I just kind of started to walk around my family property and I was pondering what in the world am I going to do with my life? I am almost out of high school and it just became abundantly clear. It hit me like uh, a ton of bricks that, that my plans that I had for my future of becoming a professional bass fisherman just weren't going to pan out. Out. And, and you guys chuckle at that, but that was honestly what I wanted to do with my life. And so, uh, very immature. Uh, I just realized in a moment, like, my gosh, fishing is really expensive. In fact, my wife gets on to me a lot because I have two of the more expensive hobbies that you can have. I love to fish and I love to golf. And, uh, and so, um, yeah, so I, I just realized in that moment that the plans that I had set out in my, for my life just weren't going to pan out. And so, what in the world? world am am I going to do? I had not prepared myself well scholastically for further education once I graduated high school. You see, just the thought of four more years of education just seemed like a particular kind of torture that I am certain I would not have been able to endure. And so I set out on a journey of just trying to discover what am I going to do after high school. And so I, I, and it didn't help matters either that after a while, my father came home and I set him down and I was like, dad, I've got some problems. Like I'm going through a thing right now. And, and, and my conversation with my dad, who uh, for the vast majority of my life had ran a very successful business. Um, uh, my, my conversation with my dad went something like this. Well, son, you know that I never stepped foot on a college campus um, as a student either. And I feel like we've done pretty well for myself or for ourselves. And so that basically made up my mind for me in that moment. Like, okay, I don't know what I want to do, but I know what I don't want to do, and that's go to school for four more years. And so I, I set out on this journey of trying to think through what it is I'm going to do. And, and, and after I graduated high school, I sat in that, in, in that auditorium of my tiny little high school and um, listened to all the speakers, the valedictorians, the salutatorians, all, all the people got up and did their talking. And I sat in that chair, a boy with no plan.
plans for his future. And then I walked across the stage a little bit later and got handed a piece of paper and, uh, and realized I'm still a boy and I have no plans for my future. I graduated high school with a 3.866 grade point average. And that sounds really impressive if you don't understand the context of it. My senior year of high school, I had like five hours of ag, one hour of uh, family and consumer science sports, and then I had music theory um, that I don't even know who my teacher was in that class. And so I had a lot of A's. The one class I had a C in was the only one that actually mattered. Uh, and so, uh, so it, it looks impressive, but it wasn't impressive. And so I, I graduate high school and I begin automatically just like sending out applications to places. They actually taught me that in one of the classes in school. And so I started filling out applications and sending them out to places. And I actually landed what I thought and what is, um, for, for many people, a really amazing job at the bus plant here in Tulsa. And, um, and I got that job as an 18-year-old. I was making close to $18 an hour, and I had to only work 10 hours a day, four days a week. It was amazing to me. I had full benefits, retirement, all the things. I, I don't even know. I didn't even know what retirement was. I was 18. What is retirement? I have no idea, but I get it. You know, I got this 401k thing. I probably still have money in that one. I don't know. Uh, but here's the deal. I go to work at the bus plant. I was super blessed to even have this job as a teenager, right? And, and, um, and so as I'm working, we have these things at the bus plant called team leaders and assistant team leaders. And here's the thing. My team leader and I, we just didn't like each other. Like, it's just simple as that. He did not like me, and I was cool with it because I didn't like him either. We butted heads on a lot of things. I was, again, 18 years old, and so I had all the opinions, right? Because 18-year-olds are smart. We're wise, man. We're so what? No, we're not. And, uh, but, so we just butted heads on a lot of things, and, and he really actually made working there not nearly as fun as it actually could have been. Uh, he felt like he was just always on me about something. Well, a few months into working at the bus plant. It was a Thursday afternoon. The bell had rung, and so it's time to get off work. And I had actually had a really good day. We had finished up with the things that we were supposed to do with that day really early, so we spent the last couple of hours playing broom hockey and hoping that nobody noticed or caught us. And, uh, and so I had a pretty good day. And so as I was leaving, my team leader's office looked out over the, the, the work floor, and as I was walking by his office, I saw him sitting at his desk, and I walked by, and I just gave him a little peace sign like this, like, like see you later, buddy. Maybe, maybe Monday. I don't know. I might quit. Who knows? But, but I left the, the, the job and I went home and I had a phenomenal weekend. It was great. Everything went so good. Woke up at 4.30 uh, on Monday morning to head back to work. And as I entered into the plant, my assistant team leader met me at my station and he dragged me, like, like felt like a drag, grabbed me by the arm and pulled me into my team leader's office and immediately Court was in session. There was, I was, I was, court was just in session for me, and I started getting grilled, and my assistant team leader looked me in the eyes, and he said, can you please tell me why you flipped off your team leader when you left on Thursday? And first of all, it's like, why are you holding on to that for so long? I, like, what, you know, but, but really, in my head, I'm going, what the heck is happening right now? I don't even know what you guys are talking about. I, this makes no sense. And as I played it back, I was like, 
oh, that's right. I do this awkward sideways peace sign when I tell people bye. And so he must have been blocked out and couldn't see my pointer finger. Like it wasn't available for him to view. And I was like, oh, no, 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 guys, you've got it all wrong. I didn't flip anybody off. I was just saying goodbye with a sideways peace sign. But it didn't matter. In their mind, I was already guilty of the crime, and they condemned me in that moment to working mandatory overtime, counting nuts and bolts and giant buckets. And I was like, I don't even know if this is legal or not, but, but I guess I'll have to do it. I was 18. Again, I wasn't able to defend myself. But here's the thing. We've all been there, right? We've all been in a moment where we've said or done a thing, and then there was a misunderstanding, and then someone or a group of someone's make a snap judgment about us, and, 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 and from that moment, we are guilty in their eyes, no matter how innocent of the crime that they assume that we did might be, like, no matter how innocent we actually are, in their minds, we're guilty and forever condemned. Now, here's the thing. I think about this story that Lily just read to us as Jesus is uh, being put on trial in this moment, and, and had you asked 18 or 19-year-old Bodie, if you could take him and plop him in into this seat as she was reading that and asked him, man, do you and Jesus have anything in common? 18 and 19 year old Bodhi would be like, heck yeah, we do. Like me and him are going through the exact same thing right now. I'm being tried for something that I didn't do. Jesus is being tried and condemned for something that he didn't do. We are just the same. Me and Jesus would have been just the same at 18 or 19 years old. Last week, Pastor Matt kicked off a series here at City Church, The Shadow of the Cross. And in this series, we are going to be journeying with Jesus as uh, in the last few hours of his life as he um, goes on trial and as he is put to death. And I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself here and really ahead of this series. But um, as we talk today, I'm going to be kind of laser focusing in on one snap snapshot of this moment in Jesus's life. This snapshot is the moment that Jesus is condemned. The moment that Jesus is condemned to die for the sins of all humanity. As we were setting and preparing for this series and and we realized that, hey, we're going to actually be preaching on on just really like the the last few hours of Jesus's life. As we're sitting in front of a whiteboard and starting to map out this series in my brain, in my head, I'm just sitting back and thinking like, there's absolutely no way that there's enough material here to preach for seven weeks. Like we can't do this. We're going to get two to three weeks in and then we're just going to have to do Easter. You know, like we're going to have to do Easter early. But then I began to like really pray about it and think about it, and, and we began to talk about it even more in our meeting, in our teaching team meeting, and it, and it just started to become really clear for me that there is just not enough time in this time that we have in this series to touch on all of the pain, all of the suffering, all of the shame, all of the torture, the physical and emotional hurt or betrayal that Jesus experienced in just a few short hours. Last week, Pastor Matt kicked us off in the garden, and, and Jesus is in the garden as, as he is praying to the Father that, that this cup of suffering might be lifted from him, but nevertheless, not my will, God, but, but your will be done. And we left the garden with Jesus saying, arise, my betrayer is at hand. 
And that, that moment that Jesus says, arise and, and let's get out of here. Like the guy who has betrayed me, he's coming. He's here. He's, he's here. We got to get out of here. Um, that moment sets off a firestorm of moments that, that is just like snowballing, quite frankly, out of control as Jesus is drugged from the garden to the, to the high priest's home. And, and he's put on trial before the high priest and the council. And people begin to start casting out all of these false accusations against him. He said this or he said that and none of it is true. And, P and Jesus is having to look over at his guy and Peter and realize Peter has denied him for the third time. Jesus is feeling all of these emotions and yet they are then, and you would hope, man, maybe this is the end of it, but no. Then Jesus is drugged to Pilate who is the, Ro the ruling Roman official in Jerusalem at the time and, and Pilate begins to question Jesus and what's going on? Why are you here? Who are you? Are you really what they say that you are? Are you doing the things that they say that you're doing? And Pilate looks at Jesus and is like, hey, man, this guy might be a little bit out there, but I don't see anything wrong with him. And oh, by the way, where is he from? Galilee? Man, he ain't even in my jurisdiction. Send him to Herod. And so Jesus is paraded all around Jerusalem because Herod just happens to be in Jerusalem that day for the feast of Passover. And so Jesus now has to go stand trial before another official by the name of Herod. And Herod's actually pretty pumped that Jesus is there because he's heard this guy heals people. This guy does miracles. I'm going to see if he'll dance for me. I'm going to see if I can get this Jesus to do something pretty amazing in my, in my presence. And Jesus won't do it. He won't say a word. He won't open his mouth. Herod gets mad at him, but still can't find any blame in him. Send him back to Pilate. So again, Jesus is paraded again through the streets of Jerusalem. Innocent man, but he's being charged. All the time he's being condemned. Innocent yet found guilty. Again, Pilate uh, looks at Jesus and is like, dude, what, what's going on? Like, like, you shouldn't be here. I should be letting you go. Just say something that will uh, unincriminate yourself, that will prove your innocence. I'm ready to let you go. And Jesus doesn't open his mouth. Jesus doesn't say a word. Finally, Pilate gets fed up with it. But we gotta ask ourselves, how did we get to this moment? How did we get to a moment with a crowd who just a few days before was crying out, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord as Jesus is triumphantly entering into Jerusalem. How have we gone from blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord to crucify him, condemn him to death? How do we get to that moment in this story? For that, we have to go back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 12. In this moment, Jesus and his disciples, they are walking through a grain field on the Sabbath. His disciples get a little bit hungry. They want a snack. So they start to snap off the heads of grain and begin to eat the grain. And, and one of the religious leaders of the time notices what is happening, and they try to trap Jesus and the disciples and say, dude, your, your disciples, they're working. They're harvesting on the Sabbath. You can't do that. Y'all guys are breaking the law. And Jesus obviously puts them in their place like he always does, right? Because Jesus has a way of putting those who would consider themselves elite in their place and humbling them. And so Jesus gets out of that moment, but then he immediately goes from there to the synagogue to worship God on the Sabbath. 
And there is a man with a withered hand, a crippled hand, and, and, and the religious elite want to trap Jesus and get him to stumble, get him to do something that they can hold against him. And so, and so they say, Jesus, is it lawful for somebody to be healed on the Sabbath? And Jesus begins to tell them about how he is the Lord of the Sabbath and, and that the Sabbath is not made for man, but, but man for Sabbath. And all, all of these things are the vice versa. I don't know. But anyways, uh, Jesus starts to, to, to do the things and then he tells the man, oh, you know what? Forget all this. Forget the conversation that we're having. Reach out your hand and it's made whole. The man's hand. So this miraculous thing happens in the presence of all these people in the synagogue. And, and, and just so that you know, I'm not making this up. Matthew 12, verse 14, this is what happens with the religious leaders. The religious leaders say, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. You see, up to this moment, they put up with Jesus. They put up with his, um, you know, his, his way of thinking and all the stuff and, and everything. They, they've basically endured him. But in this moment, it's like, no, no, no. We need to destroy this guy. And here's the thing, though. Some translations of this passage of Scripture would actually take it further than destroy because to destroy could mean a number of things, right? Like you could try to destroy Jesus's character. And they absolutely tried to do that a number of times. I, I think about a time that Jesus cast a demon out of a man. Like, like actually, there was an exorcism and Jesus performed it, said, you got to go. And everybody there, especially the religious elite, were like, hang on a second. He's casting out devils by the devil, by the power of the devil. It doesn't make any sense. They're just trying to destroy Jesus's character. And no matter how many times they tried, they couldn't. And so in this moment, some translations of scripture actually say they did not conspire on simply how to destroy this Jesus, but instead they conspired, how do we kill this man? How do we kill this Jesus? So that's the start of how we get to the moment that Lily just read us this morning. That's the start of how we get to this moment from, oh my gosh, this guy's amazing, to actually, you know what? He's not all that amazing. Let's murder him. Let's, let's, let's end his life. That's how we get to this moment. But here's the thing, guys. It's super easy for us to sit in 2022 um, uh, Western America and, and look back at this story and think, how in the world could these people be so ignorant? How could they be so dumb? Like, like, do you not see what this man has done for you? He has fed you. He has healed you. He has shown you a side of God that up until this moment you didn't even know existed. It is so easy for us to thumb our noses in, our, in the air with, with our revisionist history and think, I wouldn't do that. I would not be there and I wouldn't do But here's the thing, we would. We would. If the last couple of years has taught us anything, seriously, think about it. If the last couple of years has taught us anything, man, we are a victim of our cultural moment. And we give in to some things and we say some things in the moment that like I hope a lot of us wish we could take back, right? Like, like we have a global pandemic and we come together for a moment and then all of a sudden we're divided. 
Like, should I wear a mask or should I not wear a mask? And then it turns into just craziness and pandemonium. And oh my gosh, we have an election and now we're even more divided, right? And that's not, I'm not even just talking about the world, people. Let's think about the church of Jesus Christ. Like, it's easy for us to look at these people in this moment and think, how could they be so swayed and how could they go back and forth? But guys, we are no different than they are. We are no different than they are. I think about this story and, and other tellings of the story says that, that the, the Rome, Rome had a, a, a bit of a tradition or a custom that during this time of the, the Feast of Passover that, that they would actually let a prisoner go free. And so as Jesus is on trial and he's standing before the crowds, um, Pilate says, here's the deal. Here's what I'll do for you. I'm going to release one of these two guys. On this side, we have Jesus, the one who has done nothing wrong, the innocent, the blameless, the one who should be walking free, the one I find no fault in. Or we've got on this side, Barabbas. Barabbas is a rebel, an upriser. He is a threat to Rome, and he's a murderer, according to Scripture. Which of these two would you rather have? And we know the story. We saw the plays in our old churches and all the things. And, and we know that the crowd chooses Barabbas, right? And so the innocent was kept and condemned while the, the fault, the one who was guilty, is set free. Again, let's go back to this crowd in this moment. This crowd that, that the, 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 the moment was just ripe for craziness in this time. Jerusalem was under Roman authority, and how did Rome keep the peace? Taxes, imprisonment, the sword. And Jesus is coming in, and people are proclaiming him to be king? Like, like we don't want that. Like, y'all realize that, that that's a threat to the, to the throne of Rome, right? Like, like so, so we got to hush this mess up. We got to quiet this stuff. Hush, hush. This will not sit well with the, with the uppity ups in Rome. Like we got to be quiet. If we don't, if we let this thing continue to burn and, 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 and the flame begin to get hotter and it rise and something happens, then we're going to get taxed, you guys. We're going to be put in prison or worse, we're going to be killed. And yet in the moment, Jesus, who again was innocent of anything, they cry out, give us Barabbas, the one that they knew was the threat, the one that they knew was wrong, the innocent condemned, the guilty set free. Innocent condemned, guilty set free. If I could take you guys for just a moment to the Gospel of John chapter 8, one of my most favorite stories in all of Scripture. Um, and, and, and we've all heard somebody somewhere touch on all this stuff, but I think it's just like a beautiful, beautiful picture for us today Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning. He came again to the temple. All the people came to him, and he sat down, and he taught them. The scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery, and placing her in the midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him. I want us to stop and think about this story for a minute because, again, we've all heard somebody somewhere touch on the woman caught in the act of committing adultery, haven't we? 
Like, like it almost becomes white noise. And I don't think that we can get the full scope of what was happening here just by simply reading. I mean, first of all, let's think about it from this angle. Where's the guy at who was caught in the act of committing adultery? Why is it just the woman that they decided to drag? Where's the dude at? He's nowhere to be found. And not only that, but this woman was caught in the act of committing adultery. That means that as they caught her committing the crime, committing the act that went against the law of God, they had grabbed her and drug her from that place and began to parade her through the streets of Jerusalem until they got to the temple where Jesus is teaching. Can you imagine the shame and the agony that this woman was feeling in the moment? She knew the law. She knew that these men had every right to punish her to the fullest extent of that law. And they were dragging her, the shame, the guilt, the fear, all of the things that she's feeling inside. And then they don't just drag her to a house. No, they kick open the doors of the church where Jesus is teaching a group of people about God. They kick open the doors of the church and throw her in front of the whole congregation. I was thinking about this, and how many of you are a part of a micro church right now? Like, raise your hands. I am, yeah, proudly, throw it up. Come on, let's go. I was thinking about this story, and I was thinking about my micro church in particular. And had this, I, I just imagine we're all supposed to be walking through our kingdom values book here, in, if we haven't started soon. And I'm just thinking, man, if I'm in the middle of hanging out with my micro church and we're talking about mission and we're, and we're discussing things of God and this happened, that this scene played out in my home or someone else's home and a door was kicked open and a woman was thrown in front, I would have no clue what to do in this moment. I would be so panicked and so freaked out. I would have no idea what to do. If my wife was not sitting right next to me, I'd have to be like, Rachel, where are you? Because we got a thing and I have no idea how to handle this. But Jesus is so cool. He's so calm and he's so collected. So the woman is before the entire group of people who are in the temple there to worship and learn about God. Teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of the act of adultery now. The law of Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This, this they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And then it says that Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. Now, I've already told you guys that I didn't go to college, so clearly I'm not the smartest person in the room, right? Um, but people have theorized what Jesus wrote on the ground for a long time. They've, they've come up with a lot of theories and a lot of ideas. We have no idea what he wrote on the ground, just a heads up on that. Some think this, some think that, I don't know. I think back to my mom who, if she was ever on an important phone conversation and it was weighty and heavy, she, she would have a notepad beside her and she would just doodle. You know, and, and I actually like, picked it and helped her, helped her focus and, and keep her attention for a moment. And I kind of picked up part of that trait. I doodle now in meetings and stuff. But at the end of it, people will say, so what do you think about that, Bodie? I'm like, I have no idea, but check out these shapes, you know. <laughs> it's really true. Gosh. 
So I'm not the smartest. I have no idea what Jesus wrote on the ground, but I have a theory as to why he bent down. I have at least a thought in my mind of why he bent down. I can't prove it from scripture, so I'm going to put it there for a moment and just, just go with me to a place and see if maybe this has something for you. But as this woman who has been caught in the act of committing adultery, as her head is hanging in shame and she is stooped to the ground and she is in fear for her life, she knows that at any moment a stone is going to come and then another stone and another stone and another stone so that the law might be fulfilled on her life. I imagine that there was a weight on Jesus as he bent down and he stooped to that ground and he looked over at this woman who was guilty of the crime. And as he looked in her direction, in her shame, in her brokenness, I had this feeling that Jesus went forward in time to the cross and realized that shame, that brokenness, that sin, I'm going to bear that weight for her. The innocent, the blameless would take the sin and the shame, the guilt and the brokenness. I feel like the weight of the moment brought Jesus to the ground. And he stands up and he looks at the crowd, the crowd of men angry, violent, pious individuals whose only real desire in the moment was to trap the innocent and the blameless in the first place. They didn't care about the law. They didn't care about God's word. They wanted God's son gone. Jesus stands and he looks at them and he says, I'll tell you what, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. And it says that uh, moments later, the stones started dropping, the oldest to the youngest, and they left. There's something in there for the, with us for that, guys. Horribly bad sentence there. There's something there for us. You notice it started with the oldest. The oldest man who had drugged this woman into the temple realized in a moment, oh my gosh, I don't have it all together. My life is not as, it's not painted as pretty as I hoped it was. And he dropped his stone. And then as it goes on and goes on, it gets down to the young ones who are there, the ones who think they know it all, the prideful ones, right? There's something about age that brings on a bit of humility in our lives. Youngsters in the room, because I can say that now, learn that. Learn that now. Learn a bit of humility. But one by one, they begin to drop her sto their stones. And I imagine this woman in the moment, she's counting the thuds. She probably roughly knows how many people drug her into the temple that day. And she's counting the thuds as the stones fall to the ground. That's one. Oh my gosh, there might be a chance here. That's two. I might not die today. That's three. That's 10. That's 15. And all of a sudden, hush over the room. As everybody in their anger their hate, their vitriol, they've left the room. And it's just Jesus and the woman. And Jesus says to her, my woman, where, my, my woman, where are those who would seek to condemn you? And finally, in a moment, she lifts her head and, and, and scans the room. And there's no one, Lord, nobody. And he says to her, then neither do I 
condemn you. Now go and sin no more. And here's the thing, though, guys. If we go by the letter, she deserved it. If we go by the letter, she deserved all that was levied against her. But thank God we don't have to go by the letter. Thank God that there is somebody that has taken her place. The same one who knelt and felt the weight of her sin and her shame is the same one who knelt to feel the weight of our sin and shame as well. Guys, let's not, let's not get this backwards for a moment. We deserve it too. We have earned all of the brokenness. We've earned all of the shame. You know what we've earned? We've earned death. Eternal separation from the Father. But Jesus says, no. We've earned condemnation. But Jesus says, I'll take that. I'll take that from them. I love what the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. It's so simple, yet so profound. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are what? In Christ Jesus. If you're in Jesus Christ, then there's therefore now no condemnation for you. Yes, we might have earned condemnation but Jesus says, no, you can't. And so there may be those in your life who would seek to condemn you. You may be a person who condemns others, but it doesn't matter because they or you or us, we can't condemn because therefore, now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Who are we in these stories? We're Barabbas. We're the murderer. We deserve the penalty. We're the woman caught in adultery. We earned it. But there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So what then are we, have we been set free from? Well, we've been set free from the punishment of our sin and our brokenness. The punishment of sin, which is death, eternity separated from God, we've been set free and we've been brought into his family. We are sons and we are daughters. Does this setting free, does this idea of the, the, the prophet Isaiah in Isaiah 53, where he says God's good plan was to crush him, him being the Messiah, him being Jesus Christ, does God's good plan to crush him so that we might be set free, does it set us free to live a life of carelessness or recklessness? Absolutely not. So we've been set free from the punishment of sin, which is death. So what have we then been set free to? A couple of things and I'm wrapping up and I'm done and I can't be made fun of in staff meeting for being too long. Two things that we've been set free to. We have been set free, guys, to love. We've had this conversation before City Church. I told you, I think I've become the love guy when I get up here and talk to you. So it only makes sense that, that I go back to this. But we have been set free to love. And Jesus, our, our guide into what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God, has shown us 
the greatest act of love by going to that cross and dying on our behalf so that we might have life and have it to the full. No longer do we have to walk around dead, but we get to walk around in life abundantly. This is the same Jesus who would say, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down his life for his friends. And then he does it. He does it. He goes to the cross for you and I. We follow Jesus into that. We have been set free to sacrificially love. And that goes for everyone. It starts at home. And then it funnels down through the guy that you pass in your car on the way to work. We have been called and set free to love. And lastly is this, we've been set free to serve. We've been set free to serve. Jesus said it, his own mouth, the son of man did not come to serve, but, or not to be served, but to serve, right? And so again, this is our greatest model of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. Then what should we do with this freedom that we've been given? We should serve. We should go out to the least of these. We should love and serve everybody. It shouldn't be about us, but in humility, we should realize I don't deserve any of this. I don't deserve what God has freely given me through Jesus Christ. Where can I help? Where can I serve? Where can I love? Where can I be Jesus today? We've been set free at the end of the day to look and act, to respond just as Jesus did. I want to take you guys back real quick to my um, little story that I told you at the beginning. Um, I literally did not flip my team leader off. I honestly didn't do that that day. I, I honestly just meant to say goodbye. And, and, and at the time, I felt like I was really innocent of the crimes that I was being um, like told I was committing, right? And, and here's the deal though, like, I was so guilty because although I might not have flipped anybody off, I might've just simply been saying goodbye. If my team leader could hear the conversations that we would have on break, or if he knew the things I said to myself in my car on the way home about him, or if he knew the thoughts that I had in my head at any moment, like, like, listen guys, I earned all that mandatory overtime. I earned it all. Our lives, when you begin to add up the sum total of all things, we cannot earn. We cannot earn it. We just can't. I wish I could tell you you could. That, yeah, you could do it. You could live the life that you need to live to, to earn salvation, to earn the acceptance of the Father, but we can't do it. The sum total just won't ever add up on our own. And that's why the innocent chose condemnation so the condemned could be set free. Church, we have been set free because of Jesus' act of kindness and love shown to us. Would you stand with me this morning? We're gonna go into a time of communion here in just a second, but before we do, would you just bow your heads with me right quick? because I'm gonna pray over us in just a second, but 
before I do, I think back to last week and Pastor Matt said something that was so profound yet so unbelievably stingy in a way. He was talking about the moment that he really met God for the first time and how it was at a church camp and he was sitting outside looking up at some crosses on a hill. And he said, it was then in that moment, I, I, like the, the weight and reality of my sin, I became acutely aware of it. And I think about this season of Lent that we're in, and and I'm so thankful that we have times that we can laser focus ourselves on a particular moment in Scripture or a snapshot in Scripture, especially one as serious and important as this one. We should stand in awe and wonder and worship daily of what we've been given. But so often the trivialities of life, they get in the way. And so, so my hope and my prayer for us today is that, that we would stand in awe and in wonder. But the only way that I think that that's possible is if we realize how little we deserve it and how beautiful this gift actually is of salvation. And so Jesus We thank you so much for your willingness to choose the way of God, to take on that cup of suffering that belonged to me. We thank you that you stood, paraded through the streets of Jerusalem and humiliation. God, would we feel the weight of that today? And God, you wasted none of it. You wasted none of your son's humiliation and brokenness. Him being put to shame, shame that he didn't deserve. And ultimately death. Would we feel the weight of that? And when that weight draw us to worship, and would that worship draw us to joy? God, open our eyes and our hearts in this season as we focus in on this moment in the life of your son. May it be no small thing, God. But here's the thing, Father, we need help. Holy Spirit, we can't do it on our own. Would you show up in our lives? Would you do as Jesus said you would do and remind us all that he has ever said or ever done? And would that drive us to want to live and to love and to serve like he did? And it's in Jesus' beautiful name that we pray. Amen. Something we do every week at City Church just to center ourselves on the gospel as we go to the table and scripture tells us that on the night that Jesus was betrayed, that he stood in a room or he sat in a room with his disciples. And as they were at the table reclining, Jesus grabbed a loaf of bread and he took that bread and he lifted it up to heaven. He blessed it 
and he broke it and he passed it around the table and told his people, take and eat this bread. It represents my body that was broken for you. Will we take the body of our Savior today? In the same manner after supper, Jesus took the cup and he said that this cup represents my blood, blood of a new covenant. Blood that doesn't just simply cover your sins for a season or a moment in time, but blood that washes your sins away forever. May we take the cup this morning. And with humble hearts and gratitude, could we take just the next 30 seconds to thank Jesus for his sacrifice? Jesus, we thank you for your body that was broken, for your blood that was poured out. We thank you that because we are in you, there is therefore now no condemnation on those of us who are in Christ Jesus. May this always be at the forefront of our hearts and our minds. Will we live each day in gratitude for your sacrifice? And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Amen. Hey, City Church, thank you for bearing with me for a few minutes there. Just a couple of quick things. First of all, I'd like to invite our prayer team down, any of our elders, um, staff members who might be in the house. The first service, they let me down. And so I was just like, I'm going to be like really awkward and stand here until somebody comes. And so um, I don't see anybody who is in here right now. Um, Yes, there we go. See, I was going to call on our missions team because there's an extra amount of anointing on them right now. And so, hey, man, if you guys need prayer for anything, um, yeah, we would just love to pray with you. Uh, so you can come down front here in just a moment. If you're a first-time guest with us, again, thank you for being here. If you go right across the, the lobby, our welcome room's there. We got a free gift just as our way of saying thank you for worshiping with us. Hey, let's end with our mission statement today and go live it out wherever you are. Be the gospel. Love you guys.